0: Good evening. Um, The topic was where faith meets profession. I didn't know how my... (laughs) I really have a hard time trying to talk about that. Okay, I'm going to start with something. I have to always start with something. The perfect priest. The perfect priest preaches exactly 10 minutes, condensed thin, but never upsets anyone. He works from 8 a.m. to midnight. He makes $100 a week, wears good clothes, buys the latest books, drives a nice car, and gives about $50 a week to the poor. He's 28 years old, has been preaching for about 30 years. He's wonderfully gentle and most handsome. Well, that's not true. Has a burning desire to work with teens and spends all his time with senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face, because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his work. He makes 30 calls daily on the phone and sends about 50 emails and personally visits the hospitalized and homebound. Spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, but he's always in his office when he is needed. If your priest does not measure up, simply send this letter to six other parishes that are tired of their priest too. Then bundle up your priest and send him to the church on the top of the list. In one week you will receive 1643 priests and one of them should be perfect. Have faith in this letter. One parish broke the chain and they got their old priest back in less than three months. (laughs) I, I realize, I've been a priest for 28 years, alright? I've been a priest for a long time. I realize I'm not a perfect priest. But, it has been the most exciting, most fulfilling, most wonderful thing that has happened in my life. In 28 years, I've never regretted being a priest even once. I'll be honest with you, never. If anything, I've been very excited about being a priest. There have been times it has been a little more difficult and less difficult, yes. But most of the time it has been the most joyful and most fulfilling thing in my life. I can tell you that. I'm a very happy person, I'm sure you see that. That's why when I'm serious, people say, What's wrong? But maybe I'm thinking about something. And I've always been, you know, joyful, but as a priest I've been so very joyful. And here being at St. Paul's, it has been the most joyful thing, believe me. There are times I stand at the altar and look at the congregation and I want to pinch myself. I'm not kidding. It is so wonderful to be here. I'm not saying this to make you feel better. I'm just saying this because this is what I feel. Um, They told me about, you know, what what are the joys of my priesthood, okay? The joys of my priesthood are being with the kids, our school kids, our religious ed kids. You know, we had the first, Reconciliation of our children here, in this place, three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There were 200 and some kids. We heard confessions. Those innocent little children sitting in front of you. Telling, oh I feel bad because I kicked my brother and bit my sister.
1: <laughs> you know?
0: And see the innocence in those faces and they want to love the Lord. And you want to make them understand how this God loves them. And that they, they should never doubt that even when they'll be 30 and 40 and 50 and 60. That's the joy. The joy of celebrating weddings. You know, when when you see that this, this young couple is all excited and positive, even though just the day before I was talking to a gentleman whose wife is calling for divorce and he's heartbroken, you know, or there is so much acrimony between two people who are going through a divorce and yet I want to talk to this young couple and say, you've got to believe that you can have the greatest marriage there is. You know, that's the joy. The joy of baptizing a little baby, a family that has been waiting, and finally they have a little baby, and you are there. You know, that for me is the great joy of being able to be there at the very significant moments of people's lives. And that is the greatest joy of of being a priest. People who come to you, especially in moments of sorrow. Uh, I, as I've probably shared with you, one of the toughest weeks I've had as a priest, especially in the United States, was one week I had three funerals, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Monday was the funeral of a gentleman who was 52 years old who died of, a prostate, of prostate cancer. And he had a lot of money, so he went for all these new research and new cures. He couldn't beat it. I saw him about 10 days before. He was still walking, he was great. And, and we talked and, and he says to me, Father, you have to come back and we have to plan my funeral. It was so shocking for me because nobody has ever told me that, that I have to sit with somebody and plan their own funeral. And I remember sitting outside his house in my car for five minutes because this was hitting me hard. And then hardly 10 days later, at about 4.30 in the morning, the wife calls me on my private line and says, Father, can you rush to the hospital? Because we took my husband to to the hospital. I ran there, holding his hand, holding his wife, and and he died. And I did his funeral. Wednesday, I did the funeral of an eight-year-old boy with a tumor in his brain. You know, the parents were inconsolable. Saturday was the funeral of a young woman who was 30-something, she was a single mom, a little baby. You know, but what makes you, what gives you satisfaction is the fact you were there for those people. Uh, That's the thing. And then the joy is when people come to you for counsel, whether it is young person, older person, people who are struggling, they come to you. And, uh, And that has been my joy. See that is That is a joy, but it's also some of the difficulties of of challenges of being a priest, of a pastor. Some of the challenges are, one is, for example, the whole blessed thing about administration. You know, you did not become a priest to be, you know, worrying about buildings and money, and, and yet that's all part of the deal. You have to do that. Because you have to be a good steward to administer all that is there. The hardest thing for me is to go to the parish and ask for money. Because they always complain, oh, priests ask for money. I don't think in the six months I've been here, I've ever stood up and said, please give money. I asked for money for Haiti, not for the parish. Do you know? And yet, it's one of the hardest things to do. And yet, people don't realize you need money. Did I ever tell you that uh, Teresa of Avila, the great Teresa, the doctor of the church, she said, I alone can do nothing. Jesus and I can do many things. Jesus, I, and money can do everything.
1: <laughs>
0: so, you know, see, that is, that is one of the challenges. The other challenge is sometimes all these, ah, politi- the, I think the church, especially in the United States, is so politicized. I'm sorry. Can I say that? Just like the civil society that is so fragmented or so polarized, unfortunately in the church, we become, you know, we take every issue and argue about it. Why? The Italians have a very different attitude. See, I lived in Italy for five years, you know. They go there and, you know, they listen to the church and say, okay, thank you, they go home and, you know, we don't know what they do.
1: I'm not saying that, but
0: I think even in America, people all do what they want, I mean, believe me, I know. But why do we always fight about everything? You know, no matter whatever it is, we take sides, And we have to get into these arguments and call each other names, put labels on each other, whether we are on the right or on the left. Do you know that? I wish that we would be more balanced. See, life is all about balance. St. Saint, Saint Thomas Aquinas, the great doctor of the church, angelic doctor, he said, virtue in virtus in medio. Virtue is in the middle. The truth, the truth is not in the extremes. Especially in the United States, it's very difficult. And why can't we be consistent? I, I, I don't know if you read my column a few months ago on the pro-life issues I wrote. I wrote about that. You know how we have to the, the seamless garment of life. Pope John Paul II talked about the gospel of life or the, the culture of life, right? It's not just one thing, it's a culture of life. The whole systematic attitude towards all issues, we have to be consistent. And those are the difficult challenges, you know. And trying to push people into the middle. When I was in Evanston, people were forward to the left, I to drag them inside, it was a problem.
1: (laughs) Here, as I said, there are some people, who seem to be very much to the right, and,
0: and, you know, let's all be balanced. Accepting, respectful of each other. I may not agree with all of us, you know, that's okay. But we still, still respect and love each other, just like in a family. I mean, where do you have the most amount of fights within the family? Am I right? I tell people, people get married. I mean, people get married so that they don't have to fight with strangers. <laughs> it's true. So you see, but when we are family, even though we don't agree, we can still love each other. We can't get away from each other. This is the church, and the church is not perfect. So that is one problem. You know that we become so polarized. So politicized. That is that is a that is another challenge. Um, the other challenge is always, you know, as I said, is uh, trying to um, trying to bring people to the Lord. That is that is the biggest thing. And sometimes we get sidetracked by so many other things. As a priest, that's why I became a priest. Um, that's why I gave up my teaching. You know, I was a professor. I, I have a PhD and lots of education, and you know, I was teaching in Rome for five years, but I said I want to be a priest. If I wanted to be a professor, I could have been like my father. My father was a professor at Loyola College in India, which is a university, Jesuit university. I would have been married and had a family, no, but I had given up that. I said, I want to be a priest, help people to love the Lord. That's the whole thing. So. Um, People always ask me, I think one of the challenges, especially in the United States, is that I think in the United States it's more difficult to be a celibate than elsewhere. I'll tell you why. Not because the women are more beautiful. Can I say that? (laughs) um, Because, I'll tell you, why it is difficult is because people don't value celibacy in America. Because it's such a sexualized culture. They look at you as if, you know, you're doing something stupid. Because no matter, no matter where I go for dinner, no where I go anywhere, people will say, Oh Father, why can't priests be married? I'd like to tell them, do you love me? Do you want me to be married? <laughs> you know, what I mean is that, if you really love me, you wouldn't wish, me, wish that on me.
1: <laughs>
0: because I see marriage is not easy. Do you know what I mean? I deal with a lot of couples, believe me, I help a lot of couples. Marriage is tough things to take care of. You add marriage to that, it would be very difficult for me. For one thing, I couldn't be the kind of priest I am today. My wife would kill me. <laughs> I would never be home, never be. Because if I really want to give myself to my people, I couldn't be. Do you know what I'm saying? People don't understand that. They think that we are losing out. Yes, we are losing out. See, whereas in India, there is a tradition of admiring celibacy. It is held as a value. Mahatma Gandhi practiced celibacy. It was after his marriage, you know, then he gave it up. If you look at the stages of life in the Indian culture, you know, you were a student, and then you became a householder, or household person, married person, and after you have fulfilled your duties, they call you sannyasi. Sannyasi means you become a monk. Brahmacharya, you give up marriage and everything, in order to meditate, be spiritual. Those are the stages of life. And so this whole idea of celibacy is something that was held in great honor. You know, we don't teach that. Because the whole culture, you oh gosh, it's unbelievable. So that's why I said it is tough to be a celibate in this country because it's not held in great esteem. You have to go against the grain to do that. And, and the, the challenge of celibacy is also, you know, you, are, you enter into people's lives when they need you, and then you disappear when they don't need you. Because we all want to be significant, right? That is all about life, that's the whole idea. You, you want to mean something to somebody. And uh, celibacy is, you know, if you really are a celibate, what, you've got to be caring and loving and tender and warm when people need you. But the moment the people don't need you, you have to step back. It's like you hug people but you can't hold on. Do you know what I'm saying? But sometimes what happens is people don't even want to hug. No, no, you have to. See, Jesus was very tender. He was very loving. Because I, I am a not because I want to love less, but I want to love more. Instead of loving one person and a few little people here, you want to love everybody. And make the love of God come alive to everybody. That's the meaning of So, anyway, finally the gifts, the three gifts I'm supposed to share. Am I right? Yes, sir. The first gift for me is humor.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I never thought I had this gift, believe me. I have a couple of my brothers who are much funnier than I am. I have four brothers. Okay, one guy was even in sitcoms in on national Indian National TV. He's a funny guy, I mean, he is. He, whenever we go home, we have so much fun because we get together over a bottle of scotch, and I mean we have, <laughs> we have a lot of laughter at home, you know, it's, it's, and I never thought I was funny because when I was a young seminarian, I was very, very serious. Because I was all about becoming a good holy priest and I was very, very serious. But then, just before I became ordained, I discovered that I could tell jokes and make people laugh. And then, two years after I became a priest, I came to the United States to study. And I landed in Milwaukee. And I started trying to tell what I do little jokes. People seem to love it. See, one of the great things about America is they love to laugh. They do. They want to laugh. That's why being a stand-up comedian in, in, in America, you know, you can make good money. <laughs> and uh, then I remember there was a lady in Milwaukee who was very dear to me. She was 76 years old when I met her. She adopted me like a son. Her name was Grace. She bought me this set of books written by a Monsignor from Kansas City. The title of the book was Jokes Priests Can Tell. <laughs> <laughs> I still have like seven, eight volumes. Some of them are very corny jokes, you know, but uh, not not. But in other like <laughs> <laughs> great jokes. So I had to read like 20, 30 jokes before I would find one that would work. But over the years, I have perfected my art of telling jokes. Uh, so over the last 30 years, I have collected a lot of jokes. Most of them are in my head. And uh, if you come to my room upstairs, I have like 60 joke books.
1: So I don't think it's all mine.
0: But what I do is I use it to bring God's word alive. Not for just to entertain people. I will somehow try to connect it with the gospel or with the the homily that I'm going to say. Sometimes the connections are tenuous, but it's okay. (laughs) But most of the time I try to make that connection. The vast majority of people have been very happy with that. But I know there are some people who will probably are mad at me for that. Because they don't like to laugh. They think I shouldn't do that. I know. But that's okay. You have to worry about the vast majority of the people that it helps. So that, that is my first gift. Second gift is, I'm a very warm, caring person. And coming to America, it has allowed me to be that. OK? I remember, um, I, I jokingly tell people, when I came to America, um, people came and hugged you. I've never, I was, I've never hugged people before. So it was like new. First, it was like this. But then I loved it. So you come to America, you hug. Then I went to Italy, they kiss.
1: And because I had been
0: here, I would hug people. No, no, hugging is too intimate. Then you come back from Italy, you want to kiss people. Oh, no, that's too intimate. Then you go to India, don't even touch me. (laughs) But, But what I really, you know, what I really feel as a priest is one of the gifts is that I deeply care about people and I want to show it. And I've been always like that. And uh, that for me is is a very important gift. Uh, And it works with most people, okay? And the third and probably the most important gift is my love for Jesus, my love for the Lord.
1: From the time I was
0: little, somehow I always had this very special feeling with the Lord, um, you know, and uh, as I've grown older, I felt this connection get stronger and deeper and that is why I go around giving talks and missions. I came here and gave a mission. Every Lent I try to do at least two missions in some parish because it's good for me and I hopefully help some people. Um, because I want to, in some way, be an evangelizer to bring people to the Lord. Not only in the parish, but everywhere. Of course, know, it's difficult for me as a pastor to do as much as I would love to do because I don't have enough time. But this is one of the things I really feel strongly about to make people love the Lord more. That's basically what it is. And uh, and that I believe is the biggest gift that I would like to give. That's it. How how do you how would
1: you with your experience, is there in your in your world view, is there such a thing as a good parishioner? Oh and, and, and if so, what are the characteristics of a good parishioner that, that okay. we might might please you? No, I don't want to say it might
0: please me because I don't think you should please me because I'm only the servant. And I think it is, a good parishioner would be committed to his or her faith. Take that seriously. A person who would take their spirituality seriously. One is faith, that is your external practice of the religion, but also your personal relationship with the Lord. And live your gospel commitment or your baptismal vocation in serious searching you know it's not just enough to say okay let me find out what the church says that's all i have to do no no you have to seek god's will in your own life certainly you have to accept the church's teaching yes but how does it apply to me in my life and make my life a journey okay but also this person knows how to create community because we are not solo artists we are not you know lone riders we are a community. We have to work together. We have to get along. We have to love each other. It also means that I want to share the good news. A certain amount of desire, zeal, to share the good news. So being an evangelizer, being a witness, a, a test to give testimony. Okay? And then, very important, that you reach out to those who are poor and needy. And that is the gospel. And the Lord required that. So I would think these probably are some of the characteristics of of a good parishioner. Does it help? Very much. Okay.